the quicker we can get people off of fiat, then brain drain the, <laughs> the banking system and the governments and create more prosperity and freedom for people to start working on better things. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, the podcast that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. Today's guest is Coinos.io, the easiest way I've seen for merchants to accept Bitcoin. We had a great conversation, but before we get to that, I have some Substack updates. First, I wrote a post about the Bitcoin ETFs and why you shouldn't buy them. Using the story of Noah's Ark and the Flood, well, my own adaptation of it as an analogy, I'd love to know what you think of it and if it's useful in sharing with friends in danger of buying the ETF. Second, I've added some more Tokyo meetups to the calendar. We have a Tokyo Citadel meetup in Yokohama on February 15, a custody workshop by Bitcoin Lab in Tokyo on March 1, and then the very next day, a lightning market by Diamond Hands, also in Tokyo. I'm constantly updating the calendar, so check it out if you're looking for events in Asia. And if you organize an event and don't see it listed, let me know. You can find the Noah's Ark article and the calendar at beyondtheprice.substack.com. Okay, on the pod today are Adam and Cole from Coinos. They're based in Vancouver, but their software is open source, and their platform is globally available. I have to say, it's incredibly simple. I'm not a business per se, but I set up a page in about five seconds where anyone can go and pay me Bitcoin. It's coinos.io slash beyond the price if you want to do that. But more importantly, if you're a business owner who would like to try accepting Bitcoin, this is a great way to get started. And they'll even promote you to their community of Bitcoiners. So that's free marketing. Their site has a world map of businesses using Coinos, and I don't see any pins in Asia, so you could be the first one. They even have a Shopify integration. Anyway, we talk about the state of merchant adoption of Bitcoin and the chicken and egg problem where businesses won't implement it until customers demand it, and customers won't demand it if they don't want to spend their Bitcoin or if they can't find businesses that accept it. We also discuss Bitcoin scaling solutions like Lightning and Liquid, the tension between building totally self-sovereign Bitcoin tools that are true to the ethos but hard to use versus building easy-to-use tools that make some compromises in terms of custody. We talk about whether we want gradual change or overnight revolution, whether open source is a viable business model, and whether to stay anonymous as a Bitcoiner or not. As always, let me know what you think. You can always email me at beyondtheprice at substack.com, and I hope you enjoy. Adam Cole, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So Cole, you reached out to me because we were both in the uh, Citadel Tokyo group. I'm curious, like how you initially got connected with that group. Did you come to Japan at some point and meet a bunch of the guys? No, it's on my bucket list, though. I do want to go there. I hear it's really fun. I heard Tokyo is a blast. I'm definitely going to be there someday. So I initially came across um, somebody in that community by just reaching out like on Twitter. I was networking with a bunch of people um, and I actually forget who I forget who it was. He's the guy that manages the Tokyo uh, the Citadel Twitter page. That's the guy. Oh, I, maybe I, maybe Andy. I think it was Andy. Yeah. And uh, I think over over a year ago, I, I know about a year ago, uh, me and Adam, we we connect, we had a, a video call with him. And they posted that in the Citadel 
Tokyo, Tokyo Citadel uh, podcast. Um, but how I connected right. with him, it was, it was just various networking. Um, and I'm, I'm always like sending emails to podcast hosts and stuff like that. So it was, it was through that process that I met him. And then he introduced us to Diamond Hands and Tokyo Citadel. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Adam, I, I hear that you're coming to Japan in the near future. Yep, in May, I'm coming on a cruise around Japan, uh, but I'm going to come like a week early and stay awake a week later to go around the country a bit too. So, Okay, so not business related, just uh, more pleasure. No, my in-laws booked us a cruise to take the whole family over, so I was like, sure, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Is so, there is there like a massive... Uh, marketing campaign aimed at like Americans and Canadians to come to Japan because ever since uh ever since Japan kind of opened its borders after the pandemic it's just been this flood of tourists which was expected but it's like even even more than more than we expected and I'm I'm wondering if there's like a concerted effort I'll have to ask my father-in-law how he got onto it. it. It's possible. I haven't really been coming across too much, but I'm pretty like tuned out of the mainstream media and stuff, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, two in the last uh in the last few months, two people that I went to school with, um different schools reached out to me. I mean, we hadn't been in contact for like 10 years, but they reached out to me. They're like, "Hey, I'm coming through Tokyo. Are you still there?" So, uh I don't know, something in the water. Everyone wants to come to Japan these days. Oh, I've always wanted to go. I, I took Japanese in high school. Oh, really? Wow. Watched, uh, you know, Akira and <laughs> manga stuff. So, yeah, I've always been into Japanese culture a little bit. Yeah. Well, also, the exchange rate is on your side right now, for sure. It's good. So, so uh, it's, not very, it's not very expensive, eh? To, you're, you're, is that what you're saying? It's not that expensive to do not for you guys. <laughs> well, it's it's well, actually Tokyo is really expensive. I honestly, I would. Some things are expensive, but like if you compare it to other cities of the same size, like London or New York, uh, I think it's on the cheaper side. Um, I I always tell people Tokyo feels like one of those rare cities where you can have fun no matter what your income is, like at any level. Whereas some of the other cities, I feel like you have to be making quite a bit to really enjoy it and not just be subsisting. That's good to hear. I'll definitely be eating some cheap ramen when I get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we there, it's kind of a dual whammy because uh, on one hand, you have the the exchange rate going against us, but then also the fact that Japan hasn't really had inflation. I mean, it has a little bit now, but but historically very little. So uh, yeah, both of the, those things combined to, I think, make Japan feel very cheap to uh, to people coming from the States, Canada, uh, probably Europe too. You think it's going to have inflation coming down the pipe? I, I heard that they printed a lot of money there. Oh yeah. Massive money printing. So was, have they just been saving it off so far and it's going to all hit suddenly one day or you think it's, they're actually going to pull it off? I avoid it somehow. I think and what's the trick they do? Yeah, yeah. I think the uh the bill has to come at some point. Um, you know, I'm always reading like Lynn Alden and and some of these other macro economists to uh try to figure it out. Japan's a really weird case, and I think I think it's like like everyone who looks at it agrees that it's a it's a weird case. So I think 
it's not just that I don't know much about these things. I think uh, in general, it's it's kind of an outlier or maybe a forerunner if you look at the demographics. Um, I think one thing it has in its advantage is that it still has pretty strong manufacturing. Or it's uh, it's like still much more of a producer, at least compared to the U.S., um, not as much of a consumer. So it's it's kind of a different type of debt. And uh, even though they print money, it's not uh, the effects aren't felt so directly as they are in the U.S. I, I really don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, but yeah, so far, I don't know, maybe it's the demographics or there's so many other things that are pushing towards deflation that that uh, we really haven't had much inflation until very recently. I was watching videos of the Toyota factory on YouTube the other day. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Japan was really good at uh, that industrial manufacturing and they haven't been I mean, electronics too, very good. They haven't been quite as good in the uh, the software realm or like the uh, the social media age. Um, not so many giants coming out of that, but uh, yeah, hopefully they can hopefully they can turn things around. Uh, some politicians right now they think that maybe their opportunity is Web three. Um, I would I would love it if we could convince them that it's Bitcoin rather than Web three, but. Uh, got a long way to go on that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Light, lightning, your... really. Uh, lightning. When people understand lightning, they're, uh, I, in my experience, they they accept Bitcoin quicker because mm-hmm. some people who know that Bitcoin is not very fast and and slow, like and it's kind of expensive. But I mean, we we all agree that that's okay though. It's digital gold. It's the best digital gold that's ever existed, right? So it's okay that it's like slow. We don't care about needing to do fast transactions when we're dealing with digital gold, right? But Lightning just helps helps people accept it more because we can say it's instant, cheap, like pennies, less than a penny. Yeah, absolutely. It's I think. I mean, like I, I knew nothing about gold before I got into Bitcoin. It was it was only through Bitcoin that I started to learn about the historic role of gold and the various characteristics that made it so persistent as a store of value. So, yeah, it is a big hurdle for newcomers. Like even if you say, oh, it's digital gold, they're like, well, what does that mean? And I think intuitively people, they feel like uh, a digital money should be like lightning quick and uh um yeah super fast super easy so then when you say like oh you have to wait like 10 minutes or even an hour for transactions to settle there i can easily see them being like well what what is the point of this um so yeah i think you're right and i have had those experiences where even like talking to people who are into crypto like they use a lightning wallet for the first time and they're like damn i had no idea bitcoin could be this fast Mm. Yeah, for sure. What do, what are you guys thinking of of Lightning Network right now? Because I uh, I know that Coinos uh, Lightning is a big part of that. Um, but recently, there's been some uh, criticisms. I don't think really anything new was revealed, but I guess more of a spotlight on some of the shortcomings of Lightning. But uh, how are you guys feeling about the Lightning Network these days? I'm still pretty enthusiastic about it. I think uh, some of those criticisms, yeah, they're they're mainly theoretical at this point. Like, hmm. I don't think they've really been exploited in the wild too much, and people haven't lost money due to these flaws that have been talked about recently. But um, 
Yeah. I don't know. There could be like an existential problem with it if uh, the the fees are high and getting higher and um, people do find ways to exploit it and it's really hard to fix, which from my, you know, surface level understanding of the problems, um, yeah, it might, it might not be an easy fix to, to like patch some of these issues that have been brought up. So um, keeping an eye on it. Uh, once I start getting, you know, hacked or exploited um, and losing money due to these things, then I'll definitely start to pay more attention to it. But that hasn't happened yet. And I don't think many people have run into these issues yet. So we'll just keep plugging away um, and trying to grow it more. And then, yeah, with time, um, you know, these problems, you know, solutions may arise. I think people are already sort of thinking about how to um, fix these problems, um, but it'll become more pressing if they actually do get exploited. So then, you know, it'll be a, a do or die situation where we either fix it and everyone upgrades or the whole network just is proven to be inviable or not viable and we have to do something else. But there are other scaling solutions that people are working on other than Lightning, different layer twos and things. So if not Lightning, hopefully something else moves in to take its place. But it seems like the best solution right now. Mm-hmm. It does have problems with uh, you know, inbound liquidity. And there's a question of whether everyone will be able to run their own Lightning node and get channels open, especially if you get hundreds of millions of new Bitcoiners coming on board with a new bull run. Um, it just, it might be really difficult to get channels opened and keep them open. So yeah, we'll just, I guess, have to scale as we go. And um, the the market will decide like <laughs> uh, how much attention needs to be paid to, you know, fixing these problems. And um, I think there are solutions kind of ready to come up and be worked on if when the need arises. So. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, it seems like for a long time, the Lightning Network has kind of been the anointed scaling solution for Bitcoin. Um, and it seems like if if it's like the main or the dominant scaling solution that we all choose, then yeah, it really has to be perfect and have somewhat comparable um, security uh, to the the base Bitcoin layer. But if it's just one of many, then it it doesn't have to be so so perfect. Like it can have some shortcomings and maybe you use it if it fits your use case. But um, for other stuff, you would use other solutions. Do you think we've we've focused too much on the Lightning Network at the expense of other things? Uh, or do you think this was just like a necessary um, timeline? We had to put this amount of time into Lightning, and now we've got maybe some potential other options, but but uh, we're we're right on schedule, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's too complicated for any like one person to know, you know, which projects should be focused on, and that's why we need this you know, marketplace of ideas and people trying experiments, different scaling technologies, different blockchains, different um, 
solutions to all these things. And then the ones that work out the best will eventually be the ones that have staying power. I think Lightning, um, it, yeah, I, I think that the time that's been put into Lightning and getting it to the place where it is now has been worthwhile. Um, it is, you know, having the instant payments and instant settlement, there's not much else that can compete with Lightning mm -hmm. to provide those kinds of properties that it gives us. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's worth, yeah, the time that's been spent on it has been worthwhile and it's worthwhile to try to keep improving it and keep growing it. Um, but I do think you're right. It'll be a mix of all sorts of different scaling technologies and it'll be a spectrum of security and privacy and sovereignty. Um, some people are just going to go with a straight up single custodian, like that's just going to have full control of your keys and they'll just use it like we use banks right now where we just fully trust them with all our money and they get to run a fractional reserve if they want to, but they're providing like, you know, maybe the easiest user experience. So people will go for that. And it's the most scalable, like uh, a single custodian can probably handle hundreds of thousands of users or probably the sky's the limit. Like if you're just doing transactions in a regular old SQL database or something, yeah, then you don't need to worry about scaling you know, all this on-chain crypto me mechanics and things don't come into play at all. You're just doing transactions in a database and that can scale forever. So then, you know, to alleviate that risk of the single custodian rug pulling everyone, you get into the spectrum of having maybe a, f a federation of custodians instead of a single custodian and bringing in some uh, more decentralized aspects to it, like having, uh, like on Liquid, they have 15 custodians in a multi-sig that control that network. So um, all, like 11 out of the 15 would have to collude to rug pull people there. Right. Uh, or with Fedimint uh, and eCash, you can have anyone issuing these tokens and being a mint and they're redeemable um, for lightning payments. So it's it's like a better model than just a straight up custodian with a database. If you can take those eCash tokens and then uh, redeem them with another custodian, if the one that initially minted them is not trustworthy or something happens to them. So I think the goal is to have everyone have their own keys and have no third parties and total sovereignty and privacy but along the way there's going to be all these um yeah middle grounds and uh you know different solutions that people use just to practically make bitcoin usable as a money in the meantime until we get to that point so and that's that's kind of what we're doing we're, we're just like a one of those single custodians that i mentioned in the case where the custodian is, you know, honest and trustworthy or, you know, trying to do their best to not rug people, then um, it does offer like those benefits I mentioned where we can provide like a really simple user experience and uh, scale like a lot more easily than 
trying to do something complicated but more uh secure yeah let's let's uh let's talk about coin us um what's well just tell me about the company and and i guess also since i wanted to first uh ask about your backgrounds um tell me how you guys got into bitcoin and then how you started coin us and where you're at right now you want to go first Cole? <clears throat> yeah yeah sure uh, so I've uh, I've been in Bitcoin since 2015, uh, just as an investor, as someone that was curious. I heard about it in 2013. Of course, I I thought it was a scam. I was like, that's crazy. That doesn't mean the guy that told me about it was a little bit weird too, right? And and he didn't. He was yeah. He just wasn't the kind of person that I would want to be around in general. So I kind of wrote off the idea. 2015. I still kind of was uh, you know, yeah. I was not totally confident on it, but I. Dove in anyways, glad I did. I got into mining. I, I did okay, 2017 bull run, did, did well in 2021 bull run. Got pretty deep into mining to a point where mining was my full income uh, at at one time. And oh, wow. that was, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely went, uh, not all in on it, but I, I definitely went heavy into it. Uh, mining profits have obviously gotten way lower since then. But that is part of my experience. And now I, I came across a Lightning Network and I just see the use case to it, like the use case of it. I see how much it can help Bitcoin's image. I see how much it can help everyone's, uh, anyone's business, especially the brick and mortar uh, businesses that are like mom and pops, businesses that are uh, more privately owned. We, of course, totally like to onboard uh, franchises. We have a couple franchises using us, but it's it's easier for us to, to get those more privately owned businesses. Um, so I, I just see the value for that. And it's growing at a rapid rate. Even the biggest, one of the biggest things that spoke to me about the Lightning Network and the and just the Bitcoin network is that the hash rate of Bitcoin was reaching new all-time highs in 2022. It still is today. But even in 2022, it was still be beating its previous all-time high every few months. This is like, you know, when Bitcoin was low, like 15K, right? That spoke to me. So the Lightning Network in 2022 was breaking new all-time highs with the, uh, the mm. network capacity. It's way higher now than it was in 2022, but it was breaking all-time highs. So that goes to show that there's a lot of people building in this space, a lot of people still believing in this space enough to run their mining machines. Uh, the, the big Bitcoin miners, they weren't turning off their machines. They, they weren't even selling their Bitcoin, most of them. I, I know this for a fact. Like I follow lots of Bitcoin mining things, the on-chain data. Most of them were not selling, even when Bitcoin was low, like, like 15K, right? A lot of them were still mining. And you can see it because the hash rate doesn't lie, the global hash rate, right? So that's how I know these things. And then the, the Lightning Network capacity, I, I noticed it was still strong. So people are still building. People are building nodes more. Um, I, I see the popularity increasing at a very fast rate. And I mean, I, I quit my, my nine to five, a big part of my story, I, I quit my nine to five job in 2021. Uh, so I, I no longer have a nine to five job anymore. And I just put 99% of my waking hours into Bitcoin and Lightning. <laughs> so yeah, I, I call it a healthy obsession is what you can say, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah for my part, I've, I guess I've been a developer for the last 20, 20 odd years. I started making websites back in high school. Then I went to do a computer science degree and then 
I worked in the belly of the beast at the Canadian government for about eight years, um, doing IT and making uh, you know internal web apps and running reports and managing databases and stuff. And sometime while I was there, I discovered Bitcoin. I think it was back in 2011. And I was getting really into open source software and the idea of you know, democratizing things, um, letting people have open data, being able to see what the government is spending your tax dollars on, mm. um, having more transparency. And I guess I started learning about finance back then. Like I started dabbling in the stock market a bit, learning where our money comes from, how fractional reserve banking works um, or doesn't work. And yeah, just got really interested in Bitcoin when it came out um, because it was at the intersection of all these interests I had. So I dug into it as a skeptic at first and uh, quickly became convinced that it was the real deal, like a, a really good solution to fix a lot of the problems that the existing money system has and that it had really bright people working on it. I could just tell from reading forum posts that people had gone really deep um, on the, you know, questioning what could the problems be? How is this going to scale? Is this going to work? And they had answers that went out so much deeper than I'd even uh, considered myself that I thought, okay, that's good. <laughs> like, there's some really smart people working on this thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I bought my first Bitcoin. I got hooked, um, started investing into it. Uh, it gave me the financial freedom to quit my day job um, and start building on Bitcoin full-time. So I founded CoinOS. I had already been building it as a hobby project and getting it out to merchants in Vancouver to use to take Bitcoin payments, like on-chain Bitcoin payments back in 2013, 2014. But I didn't turn it into a company until 2020. And then uh, teamed up with Cole a couple of years ago and have really started pushing on the merchant adoption side since uh, the Lightning Network came around because it actually made these retail payments practical where you don't have to wait for the, the block confirmation and the sender doesn't have to pay like a fee to get the payment through. So without that, it wasn't really going to work with uh, taking on-chain payments for like a coffee or paying in a restaurant. Um, once Bitcoin started having a fee market, and the the block started getting full when it became popular, like really popular in 2017. Um, yeah, I realized like on-chain payments just weren't going to work. Hmm. So luckily, Lightning came around and I started experimenting with it when it was still in beta before it even launched on mainnet. And I rewrote CoinOS to incorporate that. So did like a full rewrite from scratch. Uh, to focus more on Lightning Network as the primary sort of means of payment. So, um, and then in 2020, I guess, or 2021, uh, I started getting really interested in the Liquid Network as well. So that's a, a side chain of Bitcoin. It's, uh, yeah, another layer to that 
works more like Bitcoin than Lightning does. It's more similar to, to on-chain Bitcoin, but it has uh, a few different properties. It's a separate blockchain. It's a separate network. And the blocks are one minute apart instead of 10 minutes on average. It has confidential transactions. So uh, like if you go on a block explorer and you're trying to look at someone's payments, uh, all the payments are blinded with a separate key from your uh, private key to the address. So it's called a blinding key. And it huh. kind of hides the amounts and the assets that are being sent. So it's it's not as traceable on the blockchain as regular Bitcoin. And it also allows you to issue tokens. So anyone can create a new token or a new asset or NFT, and those can be sent on that network or that blockchain. So uh, it, it sort of competes with Ethereum and other uh, chains or protocols that were designed to be more focused on uh, DeFi and smart contracting and things, but it does it in an environment where it's not introducing a new currency. It's still using Bitcoin to pay the fees and to be the money, but it allows you to do all these interesting things with tokens, like you know, creating uh, new securities, or instead of using stocks, uh, you could issue tokens mm. and have governance tokens or NFTs or all these interesting things that uh, so far have mostly been the realm of other protocols like Ethereum and Solana and, and those. Is one of the El Salvador bonds being issued on Liquid, one of their uh, volcano bonds? That was the plan. I, I think it got held up and I don't know where oh. it's at right now, but yeah, they were planning to do that. Yeah, Liquid is one of those things that uh, I, I've been vaguely aware of for a long time, and I always feel like I should look into it more, but I, I never do. And it seems like, in general, in the Bitcoin community, it doesn't get much love. Um, in Japan, there was an exchange called Liquid. So for a long time, I, I didn't know the difference between those two things. So that was really unhelpful. <laughs> um, but do you, do you have... Yeah. Do you have... Uh, any theories as to why Liquid is so unloved? Well, I think it it had a lot of uh, critics because it's not as decentralized as Bitcoin. And a lot of people just have this violent reaction against anything that has the word tokens or <laughs> mm. um, DeFi. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who, you know, through Bitcoin's history, they've had to fend off all these scams and Ponzi schemes and ICOs, um, all these projects that are like trying to a lot like affinity scams where they say, oh, we're like Bitcoin, but we're better because we're newer and we're different. And really, it's just a centralized shitcoin that is trying to fleece people. So Bitcoiners yeah. have this like just gut reaction that if, if it ain't Bitcoin, then it ain't worth looking at. So when Liquid came around, they just, I think, had that same reaction, even though uh, Liquid actually is, in my opinion, like a really interesting technology that Bitcoiners should be uh, looking at and should care about. It was actually built by uh, some of the smartest people, I think, that we're developing Bitcoin originally um, and are looking to scale it. So 
um, yeah, I think it, it also, it's semi-centralized, right? There's 15 companies that run the network and yeah, they could all collude and take the money and run. So people are very wary of that as they should be. Um, but, you know, if you, if you sort of trust that these companies are good actors, they're all independent, you know, large exchanges and stuff that were handpicked by Blockstream, which mm. has a lot of, you know, well-intentioned Bitcoiners behind it. I think, uh, yeah, there's a low chance that it, they're going to do something bad and, and screw up all their years of effort they've put into building this thing. So I trust it um, to a degree. Like, <laughs> I, I still keep my, my main stash on like a regular old uh, Bitcoin address or addresses. But um, yeah, liquid, Liquid's really convenient because the fees are way lower. Uh, right. The blocks are faster. And it can be self-custodied a lot easier than Lightning can. Like with Lightning, if you want to run your own node and open channels and all that, it's it's a lot more work to set up versus Liquid, you can just generate an address with a private key, just like you can with Bitcoin. And once you write down the, the private key for that address, it's yours. No one else knows that you know big random number. So hmm. you can have your own keys a lot more easily with Liquid than with Lightning. And with uh, and all the merchants that are using us to accept Bitcoin and Lightning payments, they can also accept liquid payments just as easily it's it's automatically like built into coinos we swap between the three um and there's not many wallets out there that do it it's, it's really rare actually like within the bitcoin space it's yeah. very rare you see a wallet that has interoperability with the three together and it's so easy because mm-hmm. we we do the swap for you like if you have a your coinos wallet and you received on-chain bitcoin from someone you can now send that exact bitcoin as liquid to someone else or you send that exact same Bitcoin as lightning. Technically it's not the same Bitcoin. I'm just saying that it, to the user, it, it's that mm. experience to the user. It, yeah. Okay. You've kind of abstracted away that difference uh, to have a, a nice um, simple yeah. user interface. Yeah. There's no swap button. It's just when, when you're, when your uh, Coinos wallet is scanning a QR code, it detects whether that QR code is liquid lightning or on-chain Bitcoin. It detects it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things I think like, obviously we're going to have to abstract away a lot of stuff to increase adoption because most people, especially busy merchants, they don't want to be thinking about, Oh, is this lightning or liquid or, or uh, Bitcoin blockchain? Um, And yet there seems to be a lot of resistance to, um, abstracting things away, making things simpler, because I guess in many cases it it does take sovereignty away from the user in a sense where they do have to trust the the app developer or the service provider a bit more. And and like you said, Adam, there is a a violent reaction in the Bitcoin community against those types of moves. Um, it's something I think a lot about because on the one hand, it's a great ethos of self sovereignty and uh, not your keys, not your coins, and yet uh, it does seem like it it slows down development. And uh, I mean, some of these things are are really important, and we do need to get them into people's hands. And and 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the what the right answer is um, to that kind of tension. Yeah, my philosophy there is like we need to onboard as many people into Bitcoin as fast as possible because we're fighting the powers that be, and the sooner mm. we get you know hyper Bitcoinization and a Bitcoin standard for the world, we get rid of fiat currency. We're going to have all these bright minds that are currently working in the fiat system or (laughs) that just aren't really into Bitcoin at all. They're going to be freed up to come and help us build these scaling technologies. And eventually we'll get to the point where we have all these, you know, great tools that are really easy to use that are fully self-sovereign and everyone has their own keys. But as a stepping stone to get there, it's better if we just go and bring as many people into Bitcoin as possible by, like you were saying, providing a UX that's abstracted away that they don't have to understand how it works. Uh, they don't have to set up a hardware wallet or deal with a 12-word key phrase or think in terms of Satoshis and uh, bits for denominating prices and things. They can still work mm-hmm. in dollars or whatever their currency is that they're used to dealing with and we just make it easy like it's like working with a venmo or paypal or something like you're sending a payment there's not that much to it you put in the recipient you put in the amount you press send and you know the person gets a green check mark on the other side like that's (laughs) that's the experience we need to give people to make it really easy and that's what we're trying to do it's not um, the most hardcore Bitcoin maxi way of doing it, but um, it's <laughs> it's onboarding people that don't care about that stuff. And um, the more, like the quicker we can get people off of fiat, then we brain drain the, <laughs> uh, the banking system and the governments and... Um, yeah, create more prosperity and freedom for people to start working on better things. So, and, and then, and like even that. though, like, and then, even though, like, Adam mentioned that we, you know, we brain drain, like, yeah, like we we want people to, uh, you know, uh, buy as much Bitcoin as they can and and understand how corrupt banks are and the risk of banks and stuff like that. We we do always teach that to people. We also, uh, at least for myself, and I, I think Adam does agree with me, is that we don't necessarily want all the banks to fail. Like, like there is some Bitcoin people, not just Bitcoin people, there's some crypto people, Bitcoin people who want the economy to just fall. Like they want banks to collapse. They want RBC to collapse, TD, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Now, I, I don't think that we really do want that. I think that would cause us a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I mean, I mean, like, like it might, it, it could cause, it might cause some problems, I'm thinking. Right. Uh, because like, like the banks, like I do value, I value having credit cards. Like I, I value um, being able to have, being able to take out loans and stuff like that on good credit and stuff. So I see the value in banks, but, but Hey, I'm very, I am debanked. I am pretty debanked, like almost. Mm. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty close, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the slow revolution is uh, not only more effective, but also, it brings more people along. It uh, it gives more people a chance to recognize what's happening and and uh, uh, and prepare for it. I think, yeah. If it's if it's too quick, it's 
you could almost argue that if it's if it's gradual it's better yeah yeah you could almost argue (laughs) i think we'd be better off with an overnight fiat collapse and everyone's forced to go to bitcoin yeah (laughs) that'd be awesome yeah there, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the price would go up a lot. Yeah. There'd be some some difficulty, but I think overall we'd be better off if it happened sooner rather than later. Okay, okay. Kind of a opposing opposing viewpoints there, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, still, so like, I, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's still like, it makes sense, right? So you decided to focus on merchant adoption. It strikes me with Bitcoin, there's there's so many different angles that you could focus on, whether it's um, like people's ability to acquire Bitcoin or um, custody solutions or remittances. That's a big one. But you decided to focus on uh, merchants being able to accept Bitcoin. Um, what led you to make that choice? I think probably just in my efforts to orange pill family and friends one of the main points they always bring up is oh there's nowhere to spend it it's not a real money it's just like a speculation a speculative thing on the internet so i wanted to change their minds about that by saying actually there are places you can spend it and it is a better form of money it's not just uh, digital gold it's not just an investment it's actually a better payment technology too. If uh, you look at merchants who have to take card payments right now, there's a lot of uh, you know parasitic grifting behavior on the behalf of Visa and Mastercard, hmm. uh, nickeling and diming these mom and pop merchants, uh, charging exorbitant fees just to you know do that database transaction that we talked about that really doesn't have any real cost to it it shouldn't be as expensive as it is but they're they have a monopoly so they can get away with it but yeah we'd like to show people that with bitcoin you can receive payments for free you can send payments for free and um yeah you don't have to have these middlemen like taking a cut and making everything more expensive for everyone so the other thing is once people see Bitcoin in the real world, um, it's just good to get it in front of them. So if they're wandering around town and they see a Bitcoin accepted here sticker on a window at their butcher shop or something, then they start to think, oh, maybe this isn't just uh, you know, a money laundering tool that hmm. terrorists and child pornographers and tax evaders are using and drug dealers and falling for all that mainstream uh, FUD that's always put out there. So getting it into, you know, your favorite local coffee shop and some nice restaurants around town and real, you know, businesses in the community demonstrates to all the skeptics and the naysayers that, oh, maybe there is something to it. So that's just an area I thought we could focus on. And with my background and skill set in web development, it was something that I thought I could do a better job of some of the existing wallets. So I took a crack at it. And it's enjoyable going out and meeting business owners. Like you actually get to go and meet real people and do cold calling and uh, 
yeah, have this like in-person activity versus just hunched over the computer working on uh, theoretical protocols and very deep uh, mathematical stuff. That's, you know, some people excel at that, but I like a little bit more balance of some of that and some human interaction. So this is like a good area for me personally. Yeah. What's your strategy? Do you approach businesses or do you, uh, uh, do you have enough reaching out to you that, uh, that you, uh, just work with those? Um, yeah. How do you, how do you go about it? We've had a couple reach out, uh, and it seems more recently, but we're still mainly having to do the approaching. We're hoping to get to that point where they're coming to us and asking, how can I take Bitcoin and can you guys help me? But no, we're still definitely having to go and really try to convince people to even give it a try. And yeah, that's Cole's specialty. So I'll let him talk a bit more about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, like we yesterday we just had three more locations uh, come on board. Uh, I, I think yeah, Adam, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, I, I think Adam. I, I don't remember. I, I didn't actually tell you, but I copied you on the emails. Uh, we had three chiropractors uh, in the same same like general area in the states. Um, yeah, they just came on board. Uh, that was cool. He saw us on a different podcast. Um, so like people are reaching out to us a little bit, but, uh, like Adam said, like hopefully we'll yeah, get to a point where we don't, uh, where it, that's all that's happening is that we are busy setting other people up with them reaching out to us. Right. We, we are noticing that improving we are noticing that starting to happen more today compared to like a year and a half ago. Right. When word gets around in certain areas of this, of Vancouver or certain areas of the world, that's when it can really spread like wildfire as, uh, you know, different business owners talk to other business owners in the same area, especially tight knit communities. Uh, that's why you see Brazil has like well over 200 businesses alone just in Brazil that are using us to accept Bitcoin lightning payments because they have been following CoinOS for a while and they realize that Bitcoin is better money. Lightning is a solution to, to them uh, compared to their own native dollar. Uh, so our, you know, we walk into businesses in person and also uh, cold calling and then following up with emails and stuff like that. And we have like certain... Uh, things that we bring up, such as, you know, you save money on credit card fees. Like we tell this to the merchant, you know, you don't pay any credit card fees. Credit cards charge up to 4% uh, with, with transaction fees. They charge that to the merchant. And then we also guarantee them more sales. So we tell the merchant that we will literally, we guarantee you more sales because we have a, a big Bitcoin community in Vancouver who is, who are all motivated to hold on to, to build and hold on to a circular Bitcoinized economy. Even when Bitcoin was low in 2022, we were doing meetups. We we had a couple, a few businesses onboarded, and and we were doing physical in-person meetups. Um, in when in 2022, we still are today. We do about four to five per month. And but I'm saying even in 2022, when the market was low, the market was bearish, things were going down. Um, and we still, we were able to hold, build momentum and hold some structure, build a structure in a Bitcoinized uh, city. So we have to thank the community big, big time for all of this stuff, for them going to the merchants and, and spending their Bitcoin there too. That gives the merchant confidence. Um, we promote their, we also tell them that we give their business promotion online to our social media pages and the Bitcoin map pages. So like btcmap.org is the one that we recommend 
to everybody. Uh, and then we also promote the merchants in Telegram as well. And the Telegram group chats are very effective uh, uh, from my experience mm. with getting word around to, uh, about the businesses and say, hey, everyone, go check them out. Yeah, it strikes me that you would need a certain amount of demand uh, to convince many merchants to uh, accept Bitcoin payments. I mean, maybe they like if there's not much of a of a, a cost in terms of time or effort, then maybe they would just add it um, if they're into it. But it seems like for most bi- merchants, they would need to see, OK, people are actually going to use this. Do you target um, businesses that are, you know, there's going to be some demand, like maybe there's a Bitcoin community in the area? Um, yeah, yeah, we have, like, if you look in uh, the, the greater Vancouver area, uh, we, we put our main focus on there because we're based in, in Vancouver. But of course, like any business, right. any anywhere where Bitcoin is legal, anywhere in the world that Bitcoin is legal, people can use CoinOS to accept Bitcoin Lightning payments. It's, it's good I say that actually because... Uh, people reach out to me, oh, is it okay to use it in the States? Is it okay to use it in Europe? And like people from all around the world send that message me, is it okay to use it here? Yeah, as long as Bitcoin is legal in your country. Um, so yeah, we target, we we find a place in, in Vancouver that seems to be a hot spot. Uh, there's multiple, different, like downtown Vancouver, I, I would say is our mm. hottest spot. And there's certain areas of downtown Vancouver that we do like to target. Um, and then the reason why is just because we, I can walk into a business and say, hey, that business over there uses it, that business over there uses it, and then that business over there uses it, and they're having, and they're having increased sales. And, and I can tell that to the merchants and being honest. So uh, that's how we, I would say the answer is yes, we definitely target certain areas, but we, but we don't limit ourselves to those, to those areas for sure. We ask businesses all over, but downtown Vancouver seems to be the hottest spot so far, but, but yeah. There's other areas that we are targeting and try to build off of. Yeah. Do you have any businesses in Japan? Do you know? I don't think so. Not that I know of, but we do. Uh, It's good that you asked that because um, it brings up the point that we've had, me and Adam have had people, uh, like we found businesses in other areas that are using us. They didn't tell us. Which is cool. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's happened multiple times. I, I couldn't even count how many times. It happened a bunch of times. And then once I find out, then I'm like, hey, you got you to gotta let us know. I tell them, right, in the DMs. And then I, and then I can promote their business, right? And so we, I, put it, I put out uh, a couple Twitter posts just to everyone saying, hey, guys, if you're using us to accept payments, let us know. Uh, so, so there might be some people in Tokyo using us. They just didn't know that it mattered to tell us or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because it is totally open source, isn't it? People can just uh, adopt it. They don't need your permission or your onboarding, per se. Yeah, and even if they're using coinos.io, which we run on our servers, there's no KYC or anything. So you just sign up with a username and password. We don't know who you are or where you are. So, yeah, we don't have a ton of insight into who's using us around the world. Um, one thing I do need to do is get more translations in place. I don't think we have mm. a Japanese translation done yet. So I just need to like, you know, throw it at chat GPT to do all those for me one day. I just haven't got around to it, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get onto that soon. Get a, a proper Japanese version done so that it's, you know, in people's native language. And then when I'm over there, I'll be going around and 
any uh, ramen shops or sushi places I'm visiting, <laughs> I'll definitely be leaving my card and trying to orange pill a few people while I'm over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's someone in the community here who would be happy to uh, to take a look at those chat GPT translations and uh, maybe polish them up. Polish them. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> We we had someone in we had someone in Brazil I think it was they they did a an article with Bitcoin Magazine and they they translated our whole page like for us they made a video about it oh, and wow. everything and uh, I don't even think we asked them to do that right Adam we didn't even ask them. yeah they just yeah. They did, yeah yeah we had some great contributions from people just who found us they like the app they're using it in their hometown and yeah people have written uh plugins for woocommerce and stuff and done translations and there's been people who have reported uh bugs and found issues with the code and helped me with it so that's the nice thing about being open source is that if people are using the product and they have ideas for it or they want to change things they can issue a pull request or raise a an issue in the, the github or just let us know in telegram that whatever feedback they have and it's pretty easy to incorporate it so yeah on that point of being open source i was uh listening to you guys on odell's podcast a little while ago and i uh i know he asked what your fee structure is how you make money and uh you kind of said well we're not really making money um i'm curious if that has changed um and also more broadly um with with an open source business model um, on the one hand, it is like the gold standard in in Bitcoin circles. Bitcoiners really want to see projects be open source. But I'm wondering, is it is it possible to to run a business based on open source software? Is it is it sustainable? Uh, that, <laughs> we're still not making uh, very much money. It's still more of a, a philanthropic enterprise at this point. But I make money when Bitcoin goes up, and you know. It, <laughs> It's been doing well the last decades that I've been into it. So um, I can't complain there. But yeah, as a, a business, Coinos itself so far is more of a still a, a labor of love, a passion project. Um, but I do want to get it to the point where, yeah, like you're saying, it's sustainable. And maybe I can uh, get enough revenue to hire a couple more people. It'd be nice to have a little bit more help. I don't want to become like a huge company where I'm spending all my time managing different contractors and having to do board meetings and stuff. So sure. Um, I, w- I don't, I wouldn't want it to get too big, but uh, yeah, having a little bit of revenue to offload a little bit more of the work that I'm doing myself would be nice. We do have, I should like, I should talk about this more. I should promote it more, but we, we do have a, a, a Gazer fund page where people can like donate to us. And uh, yeah, I, I should, uh, we're due. Uh, yeah, I'll post that again. Um, and, um, and then we, I, I have faith that the fact that Vancouver is becoming such a Bitcoinized city, uh, I, I see some, I, I see really good things happening in the near future. Like probably, you know, some really, really big names in the space are going to, are going to come here and they're going to witness how many places actually accept Bitcoin Lightning? They're going to actually test it themselves because there's a lot of like some of fake places, right? On some of these other Bitcoin maps, like CoinMap.org, it's not very accurate. But but mm. when big, good quality names in the Bitcoin space they come to Vancouver and they realize, 
they're going to want to find out who Coinos is and they're going to want to be like, hey, I want to I want to help those guys out because they're going to see that the fee structure is so low. They're going to see how much of a how much we're giving to, to the community or how much Adam's giving to the community. Right. And I, I have faith there's going to be some uh, not angel investors, you could say, but angel donors like in the future, I think. Because they're going to be like, wow, you guys are just helping out so much. And there's going to be some maybe big donated money from big names probably. But we're not we're not banking on that. But I'm just thinking I, I see that. Though. Yeah. That's awesome to hear that there's so much adoption in Vancouver. I mean, I've only been there a few times, but I love the city for, for a number of reasons. So I guess this is just one more one more reason to like it. Yeah, it's going well here. I wish I could say the same of of Tokyo, but uh, seems like things are going more in the opposite direction here. There used to be a big uh, electronics store chain that accepted Bitcoin payments, but they recently uh, changed that. You have to have an exchange, uh, an account with a particular exchange to uh, to spend Bitcoin. So it's it's uh, basically not Bitcoin. And then there's another um, big uh, website marketplace website, uh, Mercari. Uh, I don't know if it's in the U.S. or not, but it's kind of like an eBay thing where people buy and sell their own stuff. There are some like actual stores on there, but it's mostly individuals. They announced a while ago that they're going to allow. Let's see, what was it? If you sell if you sell your stuff on there, you can choose to get paid in Bitcoin, but you can't withdraw it. So I don't know if it's real Bitcoin or, or if they're just saying that they're doing that it's kind of a gamble if they uh if the price were to to rock it up or i guess it already has kind of rocketed up and they were just saying that people had bitcoin in their accounts when they didn't really then then uh they could be in some trouble but yeah there's there's not too much like what i would consider real bitcoin adoption among merchants um i don't know if the demand has to come from the from the buyers before the merchants adopt it or it's the classic or what, chicken but, and egg uh, thing right like the bitcoiners say oh there's no merchants yeah. and why would i spend my bitcoin i just want to hold it i'm i'm gonna have to incur fees to like rebuy it or um to, like repurchase it if i'm spending it every month so they're disincentivized to spend it and the merchants don't see any demand for it like i was just talking to a merchant today and he said, well, our clientele is mostly like older people. They sell soup, right? So it's mostly older people coming in to buy their, their lunch. And he said, we've just never had anyone ask for it. And then I have to make the point like, well, the point is we're going to bring new people to you. Like that's that's what we do is we're going to bring the Bitcoiners in Vancouver to start buying soup. <laughs> but um, yeah, it takes a little bit of convincing sometimes. But I always tell people like the the best way to break out of that cycle of not having any merchants and therefore not really having any customers is the hardcore Bitcoiners, the people going to the meetups that are just uh, ideologues, like they just want to see Bitcoin take off more and you're invested in Bitcoin. You have to break out of that thinking of, I just want to hold it and not spend it because Mm. you're going to drive the value of Bitcoin up more if you get more real world adoption, because that's going to bring more people into the ecosystem. It's going to demonstrate to no coiners that Bitcoin is a real thing. And it's hard to put a price on that, but I really believe that, you know, we have to do that to get the ball rolling. 
and get to that point where then merchants are starting to come to us to ask, okay, I want to save money on the fees and there's enough um, people spending Bitcoin in the economy that it's really going to make a difference for me. So how do I get started? And then when they realize it's super easy and that it really literally takes seconds to sign up an account and start taking payments and there's no cost, then word gets around in the business community that the merchants who have had success with it start talking to each other and it starts to spread that way. But it really takes a dedicated group of people to you know, get those first few merchants and get out there week after week to support them and give them some sales and get them to the point where they are actually going to tell their friends about it and tell other business owners. And that's, we're still in that phase. Like we're still having to go out and, and do that and try to get a little bit of volume out to the merchants uh, to keep them on board so they don't just fall off the wagon again and say, oh, no one's using it. No one's coming around. What was the point of this? You need to show them that, yeah, there is some point to it. You are going to get some sales and we're going to be consistent and we're not going away. Yeah, I I definitely need to be better about that. I know there's some people in our in our community here in Tokyo who are really good about like consistently asking businesses if they accept Bitcoin and if they do, then actually paying in it. Um, I tend to be more of the mindset of like, well, yeah, I'd rather spend my my worst money rather than my good form of money. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that we do in this, certainly in this early phase, um, be more cognizant of of what we can do to advance adoption, even if it's not necessarily like the the easiest thing or the like what we might intuitively want to do. Yeah. One, uh, we're we're coming up on the hour, uh, or actually, we just passed the hour. But uh, if you have time, there's one more question, kind of a different topic, but something I was curious about um, because uh, Cole, I, I saw your Telegram. I think it says certified Bitcoin professional. Yeah, and. Uh, there's a lot of people in uh, in our uh, Tokyo Citadel Telegram, and I think Bitcoiners in general who are very private. Like, like whenever they talk about Bitcoin, they'll do so under uh, a pseudonym. Um, they keep their real identity hidden. They don't want it to be public knowledge that that they're into Bitcoin or or hold Bitcoin or involved with it in some way. How do you guys think about um, being public Bitcoiners in terms of like weighing the risks, um, potential future, say, government crackdowns or any of the things that, that some of these um, pseudonymous Bitcoiners are, are very concerned about versus the like the adoption advantages of just being like, yeah, this is me. I, I'm into Bitcoin. I, I work in Bitcoin. Um, how do you how do you think about that uh, tension? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, so I, I understand why people do value their privacy for sure. Uh, even like, that's why I don't put my last name out anywhere. I mean, at least I try to, cause I just don't want to be a victim of identity theft. Right. So, so how do I approach that kind of situation? I, I totally understand where people are coming from. Um, I, I know way more Bitcoiners than I know way more Bitcoiners that uh, hide their identity than I know are open about it. Uh, and I, I just understand because Bitcoin's a privacy thing, right? And, you know, crypto is pretty private. Or Bitcoin is, is a pretty private thing. Um, 
So I, I approach it that way. I understand, but I am also sometimes like, like careful about uh, who I tell like everything about myself. Right. I even took my, my certified Bitcoin professional name off. I, right now, my name, my telegram name is just Cole. Uh, for now, for now, um, I just don't want uh, yeah some unwanted attention at at this time. But I am, I'll, I'll add it back uh, soon. Yeah, I, I get a lot of questions about that, and, and I've actually had I've developed some good connections with people asking about that, like DMing me or asking me in the group. Mm. And so no, it's it's helped. It's definitely helped uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I I worry about it regularly, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I've, I've been a public figure for yeah since I got into it, and it does help with the merchants. Like they when they see a real face on our website, and they know I'm a local guy, and I have a, a real background. You can find me online. I'm a public person. I'm not some shadowy figure. It makes you more trustworthy and. Uh, people want to do business with people that they can trust. So I, I think it helps there. I do worry about the wrench attack or, you know, getting kidnapped or, you know, all sorts of scenarios that could play out because I don't have that OPSEC that, you know, as a Bitcoiner, I know is important. And I encourage most people to follow that uh, more than I do. But I'm just... I'm banking on, you know, higher power, karma. I'm putting myself out there. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I hope that it comes back to me that I'm not going to get in too much trouble down the road. But, you know, that could be naive. So um, if I get kidnapped and uh, something happens to me, I'm I'm hoping you guys will come <laughs> and rescue me or, you know, send you know, help me out somehow. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so far so good. I have, I've been in it for over twelve years now, and uh, you know, haven't had any problems yet. So I'm not, I'm not trying to invite no. them by saying this. Knock on wood. Knock on Knock wood. wood. Yeah. Yeah, I I kind of go back and forth. Uh, I mean, in our in our group here in Tokyo, there's there's certainly very strong privacy advocates, but I kind of feel like if their fears come true then privacy is not going to save us. Like if, if Bitcoin becomes like a, like an outlawed kind of thing, like, like uh, someone used the, the term financial terrorism, like they're going to call us financial terrorists. And I kind of feel like if that happens and if these powerful governments are truly arrayed against us, like our efforts up until now, like, like using fake names, like that's not, that's not really going to be that effective. I think. Uh, like pushing, driving adoption, making it a commonplace thing, like not something that people need to feel weird about seems to me like the more effective strategy. Um, uh, like just even as a as a self-preservation strategy. Although, like you say, Cole, I, I totally understand why someone would want to, to stay more private. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think about, uh, yeah, like part of the reasons Adam was saying yeah, I think about that stuff too. So I'm just careful about my identity online. I, I try not to link my personal life uh, with this too much, but yeah. But I am more and more, more and more I am because I get really excited about this stuff that we're doing. And, and then I, sometimes it's hard for me, like I can't help it, but bring it into my personal life and stuff like that. But but I, I'm conscious of it though at the same time. So. 
Well, yeah, I mean, something something that you yourself are so excited about, like how how can you not tell the people closest to you, especially when they're probably the ones you care most about that they also get it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's brought me the like Bitcoin. uh, I I might as well mention that it's brought me closer to my family than I've ever been before. Hmm. Probably closer to my dad than I've ever been before. I got my dad orange paled, like, (laughs) like badly. Oh, yeah. And he is. He is, uh, he's in his late sixties, right? He's getting pretty old. Um, and he's very, very grateful for, for all the, the Bitcoin stuff that I've gotten into. So brought us closer. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. there's a lot of stories like that around the world. Yeah, for sure. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll leave it there, but, uh, where would you like to send people to find out more about some of the things we've talked about today? Uh, yeah, go to our website, coinos.io, C-O-I-N-O-S dot I-O, and look us up on Twitter, Telegram. Uh, we have a link tree at the bottom of our homepage with all our socials. Um, on Twitter, I'm Adam Salties. And for the Bitcoiners listening, if you're on Noster, we're on there too. And we're, we love Noster. Um, we're trying to get more people onto it. So follow us there for sure. Yeah. Still don't have a great way of like easily uh, sharing one's Noster profile or saying like, oh, oh look me up at uh, at whatever. But I'll, I'll put it in the show notes uh, along with uh, your other links as well. I'm Adam at coinos.io on Noster. Okay. If your client supports, I think it's NIP5 or something, if you, know, you have that... Uh, Noster identity link to like the email style format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in in your coin in your coinos wallet, we link your Noster account to it as well. Right. You you just generate you generate keys for users, right? Yeah, every coinos user is a Noster user. You get your own Noster pub key with your coinos account. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, we barely touched on uh, Noster. I'm sure all kinds of things that we could uh, could still talk about. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll wrap it up there for now. Adam Cole, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brad. Appreciate it. We'll uh, keep in touch. Okay. What'd you think of that? What stuck in my mind was Adam's idea of Bitcoin brain drain building easy-to-use tools that get a lot of people in the front door and gets Bitcoin into their hands, even if it is in a custodial or semi-custodial way. Then once we have a lot of people into it and working on Bitcoin rather than traditional finance and other middlemen-type industries, we'll get an explosion of high-quality self-custodial solutions. I think it's a sound argument. I guess the danger would be that if the tools we build now make too many compromises, they're easily co-opted by the current powers that be, and it makes changing the system a lot harder. But as long as we don't compromise on the decentralization and security of Bitcoin itself, I think it's good to have a range of tools and solutions with different trade-offs. As I mentioned toward the end of the interview, I'm coming around to the idea of spending more Bitcoin to support merchant adoption. Especially with Lightning Hot Wallets, it's easy to separate your spending Bitcoin from your saving Bitcoin, hot and cold storage, and if you have a good system for adding to your cold stack, why not actually spend the Bitcoin in your hot wallet? One cool thing I've seen lately is Bitcoiners traveling to Japan and just arranging with someone to exchange Bitcoin for local currency, rather than using a money changer. Low fees helps local Bitcoiners acquire so-called ethical sats, and it supports a growing circular economy. 
As for the real name versus anonymity stuff, the safety in numbers or safety in privacy, I've been meaning to flesh out my thoughts on that for a while, so maybe I'll write a Substack post on that in the near future. Once again, the site is beyondtheprice.substack.com. I'd love it if you subscribed or just followed the podcast on whatever platform you use. Also, a rating or review or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon.